Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This week's sponsor is Book of the Month Club again. Book of the Month Club is a service which I think is like the best thing ever, where you get to pick from five books each month uh, to get whichever one is your favorite. Book of the Month Club is offering Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books listeners an exclusive offer of signing up for just $5 for your first book. This is not to be missed. Bookofthemonthclub.com. Go check it out. And many of the books on this podcast have been Book of the Month Club picks. Uh, so go, just go buy them. Enter code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, for this exclusive offer. I just wanted to take this time to wish all of you a very, very, very happy Thanksgiving. I am so thankful for all of you listeners out there. You have no idea how much you have made my life happy by helping me spread the word about these amazing authors and books and joining me in my book-loving life. (laughs) So thanks for taking the time on your walks while you're doing the dishes, while you're at the gym or wherever you're listening to me. Thank you for putting me in your ears and uh, listening to what I have to say. It really just warms my heart and feel free anytime to reach out to me. Let me know what you think of this podcast. Let me say something nice. I don't know, whatever. My email is zibby at zibbyowens.com, Z-I-B-B-Y at zibbyowens.com. And again, have a really amazing Thanksgiving and I hope these episodes uh, carry you through this this wonderful week. I'm here today with Caroline McGuire, who's the author of Why Will No One Play With Me? The Play Better Plan to Help Children of All Ages Make Friends and Thrive. Caroline is a personal coach who works with children struggling with executive function weaknesses and their families. A former coach for the Hollowell Center in Sudbury, Massachusetts, Caroline earned her ACG from the ADD Coach Academy, say that 50 times really quickly, and her PCC from the International Coach Federation. She has a master's in education from Leslie University. Caroline currently lives in Concord, Massachusetts with her husband and two children. So welcome, Caroline. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. No problem. I actually listened to an audio book on my way home from New York this morning, so I resemble that remark. (laughs) (laughs) Can you please tell listeners what your book called Why Will No One Play With Me is about? And tell us about this play better plan that you came up with. Sure. So I wanted to make a guide so parents could know what professionals know, but in really jargon-free, user-friendly terms to coach their kid through any social situation. So how to have tough conversations and actually how to build social skills. Because I felt like as a parent and as a professional, there's really nothing like that out there. A lot of books talk about the problem, but they don't really tell you how. How do you do this? So the idea behind the book was just that it's really parent-friendly And then the play better plan is just what we call the plan. So, you know, there's steps that parents can follow and you can, you know, what do you do? How do you start? You know, what's the environment you create? All those kind of steps are given to you. So you just sort of follow the yellow brick road. Well, as a parent of four kids, this book, I wish I had had this book earlier in my life. I mean, there's no parent who hasn't had some sort of friend-related issue with a child, you know, instigated by the child to the child. Like, there's so many things. So I felt like this is, and you called it that, some sort. you called it like the playbook for, you know, social issues, right? It's like, I thought it was, it was amazing. So you, you identified this, what you called an unmet need crippling millions of women. So, I mean, women, what am I talking about? Millions of children. This is what happens when I don't sleep. 
millions of children. How did you identify this problem? Tell me about like what happened in your practice and the kids you were seeing and when you realized that you were the one who had to write this book. So um, about 15 years ago, when I started working with kids, you know, people often came to me for academics and to help their kid who's disorganized and sort of disheveled and really brilliant, but not getting their work done. And the same part of the brain that makes social skills and runs them is also the same part of the brain that often affects those kind of academic issues called executive function. And I, over and over and over again, had these incidents where kids really didn't care about the academic part. They cared about the friendship part. And they would tell me, you know, their stories. And then mothers, I found, if you had a kid who was sort of left out and didn't get a lot of playdates, the parents didn't have a lot of socialization because no one really invited them anywhere. Because, you know, you invite, we're all guilty of this, the easy kids, the kids who get along at the barbecue. And so I had this one little boy and I asked him, you know, well, what would you change if you could change anything? And he said to me, you know, I want to know why no one will play with me. And it just started this ringing in my head. And as I was working, I found that, you know, anything I could get on my, my hands on in terms of guides to help um, develop social skills were written for professionals. And they were so full of jargon that the average parent couldn't understand them. And then I kept finding that the social skills, if you weren't someone with a pretty severe diagnosis, you didn't get any help anywhere. And that there's just so many issues going on for all of us nowadays. And so I started a master's degree and I told my professors this idea and they were really supportive. Ned Hollowell, who I worked for at the time, was really supportive. But all the time I kept thinking someone's going to come up with this. So I'm working on this this whole time, but someone is going to come up with this because how can people not see that this is a tremendous need? And it turns out nobody did. And the reason is it's, it's really a lot to produce this, but also I think it's almost like something so obvious that everybody realizes we need, but it, nobody can really figure out that we need it. So why will no one play with me? It's really about like these constant issues that I have seen come up. And I'm now a mother, so I see it with my own kids and their friends where parents are constantly, you know, it might, drives my husband crazy. Like we arrive at a dinner party and I'm like ushered into the corner and people pepper me with questions. <laughs> He's like, can we just not talk about this for one night? And I'm like, no, you know, this is what people need. I'm on the board of the Parenting Center of Mount Sinai Hospital. And we were brainstorming, you know, different books that we've all loved and, you know, things like that. So I mentioned yours and everyone was like, oh my gosh, that's, I need that book. I need that book. And I'm like, right. It was so great. <laughs> and one of the things that you said repeatedly in the book, which you say to the parents that you coach is if they could, they would. Like if your kids could make friends easily, they would. Like being punitive and saying, come on, just try again tomorrow. Like that's not going to work. Similar to like, if you didn't, if you don't know how to play tennis, picking up a racket every day. I mean, it's not necessarily, I mean, if no one's going to teach you, you're not going to necessarily learn it the right way or the best way. So, I mean, maybe tennis people would object. But anyway, tell me a little more about that. If they could, they would. I think with a lot of childhood things, time kind of heals it, right? You know, there was a time when I thought my daughter would never ride a two-wheel bike. And then she practiced and she matured and she got it. And one day it was as if she'd never not ridden. You know, when they're crawling, it's like sometimes you're like, oh, my God, all they do is scoot. And then all of a sudden they're crawling and they're walking. 
And so I think what happens with parents is that we get used to this sort of like time moves things forward and we just have to wait it out thing. Because a lot of our lessons say that. But what happens with kids is that I think every kid wants to be successful. I think most kids want to do well and meet our expectations. And when they just don't pick this stuff up naturally, it's sort of mysterious to us, especially because a lot of these kids are so smart about other stuff. And so I really want to stress to parents, like I know sometimes we worry that our kid is being manipulative or something, but the minute you kind of say if they could, they would, and you stop worrying about that manipulative piece, you kind of reframe everything and you start to realize like, oh, they really want to do well. And if I give them direct instruction, they can learn. And tennis is a perfect analogy because you couldn't teach me tennis if you spent every minute of every day with me because I'm so unathletic. And like, you'd have to do something special for me, which tennis people everywhere listening to this are going to be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But I, I can't, you know, it's not easy for me. So you give readers in the book a list of seven things that everyone needs to be able to do to be socially successful. My question is, what if the parents themselves don't necessarily have those skills, right? Like, what if you're a parent who's trying to help your child, but you're like, well, I don't know, can I do this? Or I don't know, what do you do then? (laughs) What do you do then? I get that question a lot. So we know like that 50% of people with social skills, children with social skills challenges have challenges themselves. And I think that it's also that we also become really self-conscious as parents about our own social skills. Like, should I really be the one teaching them? But, you know, the thing is that the more you work on your own stuff, which you can do as you work the lessons of this book with your child, the more your child is going to engage in the process. So I've had a lot of parents who didn't have great social skills. They do the lessons with their child. They improve their own social skills. And their kid is like, okay, well, if you'll exit your comfort zone, I'll exit mine. Whereas when we don't do stuff and we kind of preach, that's when especially teenagers really get upset. Right. (laughs) They're like, hey, you're not doing it. And what about the fact that as a parent, we have to be the coach in this book? Like, what if I'm not a good coach? What if I wouldn't be like a good soccer coach? I keep turning this all back to sports, but like, you're so great in the book, encouraging the reader to keep, you know, every chapter you're like, you got this, you can do it. And I'm like, thank you. (laughs) And you even give these like eight, you know, tactics for being a better coach. And like, as much as you can do from the other side of this book, you have helped people do it. But like, is there somebody who can't coach? Like, then what? Then what do you do? Or do we just send our kids to you? (laughs) I mean, the thing is that you are, as a parent, probably already doing this just not as well as you could be, right? We all have our kids get off the bus, come home, and we have these endless conversations. Or we watch and we try to help them with these issues, right? Mixed in. Why did you talk that way? Your tone wasn't really good there. You know, even when you're hungry, you have to be polite, all that stuff. And so what I would say is that I I literally had this last night. I gave a a speech and a, a mother said to me, you know, I heard you last year. And I did great for like 15 minutes and then I completely fell apart. And the thing is that that was great 15 minutes and tomorrow you try for 20 minutes, right? Like anybody can do this. I've even had really, really authoritarian parents change their style and really become more coach-like. And my thing is, even if you're imperfect, which is fine, you're 
already probably having these conversations, but they don't go anywhere because you don't have the tools you need. So your book gives so many tools. Like I was sitting there thinking, did you come, like, did this woman come up with all these, did you come up with all of these things? I did. Oh my gosh. You're so creative. They're like amazing. It's like, you're like a teacher meets babysitter meets therapist meets pediatrician. I don't know. It like, Anyway, <laughs> well, what happens is that I, I like to solve problems and I especially like it when people tell me that something is impossible. Mm. So, for instance, a few years ago, someone said to me, you know, you can't teach social skills via Skype. You just can't do it. They have to be in person. And I was like, yeah, except there are no people to do this in Colombia. There are no people in certain parts of this country. So I'm going to figure it out. And how I figured it out was that I trained the parents and the parents become my arms, my legs, and we all work together. So I I think that the tools came out of like specific things that came up with kids. Like who are your audience was a kid who I just couldn't get to understand that like every person you encounter, you know, they have a reaction to you. And if you melt down and they're two feet from you, they still think about that meltdown. Like it, it's not like it, you're behind a hidden cloak, you know? And so all these things came out of that. And then last summer I did the painstaking thing of writing directions for parents and just like hunkering down and making them all, you know, flow and beautiful, but they were all the stuff that I'd used. So I knew that they worked. So tell me about some of the strategies, like the social spy and the mat where you literally put yourself in someone else's shoes. And tell me about some of the the things you've invented that are particularly successful for you. So the mat to walk in someone else's shoes is like a parent's best friend on so many levels. So what happened was my graphic designer is my cousin and she did all the designs for this book. And she and I were talking about, and she's a mom, like how you know, we really wish like you could literally experience being in someone else's body because then you'd really have perspective. And so we just decided that we would do this crazy thing. And I got this big mat printed up and I literally started first giving kids like actual shoes, but that was really hard because then you have to have all these sizes. And then I just had this graphic made up. And so when it, you can use it for anything, you can use it for, hey, if you want to think about how eating the last piece of pie really affected your brother. But you can also use it for like, when I run your soccer equipment to school every single day, <laughs> to my shoes, like, what does that do to me? And so it's fun, and they like it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's interactive. And you can take a piece of craft paper and you can draw it out. I will eventually sell it on my website. I just haven't had a chance yet because it's like a whole other project. But it's, you know, it's like the ultimate fun thing. And by the way, people, I get teenagers to do this. So people always say to me, oh, it's just little kids. No. And I also get them to sort of start thinking about that, like, they're not the only beings in the world. (laughs) Which is good. (laughs) Which is often hard to get through to them. (laughs) And what about what about the social spy? So social spy I use with kids of all ages. And I the idea behind it is we practice and we rehearse sort of listening in on people and watching them without watching. Um, and the reason is that kids with social challenges don't tend to be great noticers. So they don't read the room. They don't notice other people. They don't notice all that social data, especially stuff like mood and context. And, you know, so teachers will say to me, like, I was in such a bad mood and they never 
really realized they should stop pushing me, right? And as a parent, I'm sure many of you are listening going, yeah, why did they push me to the edge? So um, one of the things we do is we give them missions and we have them go out into society, like to a box store, to a mall, um, and watch other people and their specific things they're watching for. But also they can go to school and find out what are other people talking about? You know, what does my teacher do when she's about to lose it? Like, what does she say with her body and her voice? And now I can pay attention to that so that when my teacher is annoyed, I don't keep nagging at her until I end up in the principal's office. I like how in the book you even have diagrams. Like, here's a picture of somebody who's like paying attention. And here's a picture of somebody who's like, could care less. And I mean, I'm acting this out for you. Nobody can see this except me and you. But anyway, (laughs) but in the book, it's really helpful because you can, you know, when you show a kid something like that, they can get it, right? But if you maybe explain like, just be nice or just pay attention, not having a visual is, is a hindrance, really. Yeah. And I was talking about this with a group I talked to last night. You know, I said there's signs and signals that people are friendly. And then there's signs and signals that they want to be your friend. And a lot of kids either are so paranoid about like, what are those signs and signals that they do nothing and they end up just like inert or they mistake just being a pleasant person for real overtures of friendship. So we have you like we have lists of what are those signs and signals and then what does it look like and then you can act it out. And that way now I have a real visual representation of it, not just my mom saying like, hey, that person was just being nice because people sometimes just don't pause to pay attention to like what is just being nice look like. I feel like this is when I asked my husband, I was like, you were flirting with me, right? Or were you just being really friendly? <laughs> like. Like, like, did we just take this in the totally wrong direction by accident? Like, maybe this is all a misunderstanding (laughs) because sometimes it's hard to tell. It is hard to tell. And especially in like the teenage world, which is super layered, super complicated, you know, and there's all these dynamics and some kids just don't read those dynamics easily. But your book is saying that this is not something you're born with and it's something that you can fix. Like, this is not... It's not a fixed trait. It's it's malleable, right? That's your theory. And this is how you do it. Yeah, and it's based on research. So it's not just like Caroline McGuire. No, I know. I'm sorry. It's not. I, mean- <laughs> I want to tell Karen that like it can be fixed and we know it can be fixed and professionals know how to help this. But if your kid's just really anxious and they don't have a diagnosis, they're probably never getting to a professional. So... Now you as a parent are there on the front lines with a kid who every day comes home from school and you know they're not going to the lunchroom or you know they're not talking to other kids or you know they're clinging to that one friend who, you know, God help us, they move away. (laughs) Right, yes. So that's, I mean, that's really, it it can be changed and, and we know how to change it and we're just trying to give parents that tool to change it. Just out of curiosity, is there a time... Like, is there a point at which it's too late to teach these skills? No, I actually have a few psychiatrists who love to refer adults to me. And I, you know, really love working with kids, but I also believe in, in there's, it's never too late. And I've had adults as old as 60 do different iterations of these things and totally change everything. And it all starts with that chapter about the stories where we talk about the stories we tell ourselves, you know, smart kids don't have friends kind of stories. 
these 60 year old adults have stories like, you know, I'm the smartest person in the room, so it's okay if I tell everybody. Or, you know, the adults who check their phone and they check whether something you said is correct. And then they're like, actually, this is the correct information. And what I've found is that they can change, but we start still with that story and, and we talk about that story. And, and instead of the parents being involved, often their spouse is involved. Interesting. And tell me the real deal. You know, this is what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much good advice in this book, but you also organize it in a really great way. And you have quizzes so you can figure out like which deficits do you really want to shore up? And you can pick which chapter to read based on that, based on, you know, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I need to like take these quizzes four times for each of my kids. Like I need to get four copies of this book or something. <laughs> but it's really, you know, all the the ways that you help people get to the information that they themselves need, I feel like are particularly relevant in a way that you can't just do, you know, off the cuff, right? But in as much as you could do without seeing someone in front of you, I feel like, you know, I could find my kids in your book. That was a long way of saying that, but. Oh, thank you. Well, we spent like, before we even sold the book, we spent like two years on the organization and the jargon piece. And like, how do you say things in a really user friendly way and take all of the, you know, psycho babble stuff out so that parents are like looking words up in the dictionary, you don't need to do that. And we really spent a lot of time on like, who are these kids? So that we could make sure that you did see your kid in the book. And, you know, I, I'm really glad you like the quizzes. A, a group last night told me that they were like focused solely on the first couple chapters about communication. <laughs> and they were like, I don't know if I'll ever get to the quizzes. And I said, you know, that's okay. I would love it if you did, because I think that can really make such a difference. But I also know that, you know, for some families, just that communication piece is so key and they have to start and sort of stay there for a while. I feel like every school should make their parents read this. Like, I want to go to my kid's school and be like, like, because every, every parent, like, think about it, if everybody helped their kids get these social skills how great that would be. Like a class with 60 people, all of whom are implementing the tactics in this book, right? It'd be like a dream come true. The teachers would like hug us, right? Anyway. I would love to, to have that happen simply because what we're doing about bullying and stuff right now, it doesn't work. And, right. and the conversation we're having is sort of just spinning in the same cycle over and over again. And, you know, the fact is that the bully, the bystander and the victim, they all need help. And I think that, you know, when I do work with schools and I do even just get the teachers to know more because the teachers are, again, like right there faced with all this stuff, it really does make a difference. So I am not telling people to bombard their schools, but if you do, I have seen it make a difference. <laughs> I'll tell them. You don't have to tell them. <laughs> Everybody get your school to get this book. Tell me a little more about the process. So you spent two years outlining the book and you did that with Teresa Barker. I'm assuming who you co-wrote this with or? Yeah. Well, what happened was I have these great literary agents and they act like a developmental editor. So they took the process I had. They took everything that I had laid out. I already had it outlined and laid out and, and in a proposal. And then they helped me just work on all the wording, work on all of the, you know, there's these butt boxes and we worked on all these questions that parents have and we created like lists and we pulled it all together of like, what are all the things parents are going to say or need answers to? 
And then Teresa Barker came on board and she helped us make it beautiful and coherent. And she's written, she's collaborated on many books, Raising Cain, Spiritual Child, Big Disconnect. And she was just brilliant also at like bringing this all out for me. You know, she would ask me questions and I'd be like, oh yeah. (laughs) And also she is just a mother and a grandmother. And so she knew I mean, basically everyone involved in this process, my editor, my publicist, they're all moms. So they all know like why this is so important. And so it was just this great team. Because you said in your acknowledgement section, you said throughout this journey, there were times when I wondered if I should continue. And in each moment, the universe sent me a resounding no. So I felt like that you might've had some self-doubt along the way of this book. (laughs) Is that true? I mean, I did because it was such a big, epic thing to take on. And you know, there was also this part of me that was like, why haven't some of these, you know, famous PhDs done this yet? And I would have like these incidents, like at one point I was thinking of going with this smaller publisher and it would have been just an easier road. And a father came up to me on July 4th at a bonfire. He had never spoken to me before in my life. He knew from his mother, he knew from my mother what I was doing. And he said, if you have a chance to spread this to millions of kids, you have to. And he said how his daughter, like he just started talking and he's a very shy person. He was like, my daughter has switched schools because she was so bullied. She's been so miserable. We struggle with our other two kids. And he just was like, you need to keep going. And that would happen to me like at the supermarket, at the nail salon, like somebody would start talking to me and I would realize like people really need this. I have to keep going even though, you know, it was a little bit daunting at times. Well, it's really great you didn't give up. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't give up. Now it seems like, oh, yeah, of course you didn't give up. But, I mean, it was, it was like, all-consuming. And at the time I started the proposal, I had a six-month-old. Oh, and how, how old are your kids now? My son is five, and my daughter is 11. So I'm in two totally different spheres. For him, it's the play dates, it's the, you know please don't, you know, hog this and share and remember your manners. And then with her, we're entering that teenage phase where, you know, people send horrible texts to a chain of people and you're like, who gave these kids cell phones? So it's it's totally polar. I'm in your exact same spot. I have 12-year-old twins and then I have a six-year-old and a five-year-old. So I have that same divide and like, you know, the differences between, you know, my six-year-old saying, you know, this boy is so annoying because he keeps coming over and like wanting to talk to me. I'm like, that's not annoying. He likes you. <laughs> like, And then, you know, anyway, yes. But that's what keeps parenting interesting, right? All the different issues of all, <laughs> all the time. And, and just, you know, it's great because I am so fortunate to have such a wonderful experience with working with so many kids. So when things come up, I'm like, oh, I saw this before. (laughs) I'm like, here we go. Wow. So what do you have coming next? So in terms of next books or in terms of next? Anything. Like take me through the next stage of your life. You're going to make this mat soon enough, right? When you get the time the the put your feet on the mat is coming up. Yeah. And there's going to be very soon, maybe even like later today, videos going up on my website. So I took the real conversations I've had with kids because I knew parents would be like, wait, I want to see this. And I had videos made. Um, and they're 
the real words of real kids. The, the, the people doing it are actors because people weren't like, yes, please put my child all over America. <laughs> the actual words are the real words of kids. And so it's very real. And so you can see resistant kids and social spy and a full coaching conversation. And then I'm also going to be- and, wait, and what is your website for people who now want to look this up? CarolineMaguireAuthor.com. And it's M-A-G-U-I-R-E. Okay. And that phase is also the mat, as well as learn to walk in someone else's shoes mat, as well as groups. So that I'll have webinars laying all this out and allowing you to participate and sort of get that information live. Have you thought about- trying to write this for kids, like a kid would read it with their parent, like a workbook or something like that? I have thought about that. I have thought about that. You know, in one of my early plans 15 years ago, it was (laughs) a little bit more like a kid would do it. But then I really realized that, you know, kids who lack self-awareness, they need that guidance. So I think the parent was the right way to go for a while and play with me. But but down the road, I would definitely think about that. And I definitely want to do a book for adults. Excellent. Well, really exciting. Do you have any advice to any aspiring authors out there? And then also anyone struggling with social skills problems in general? My advice for aspiring authors is that there really is a need to sort of be tenacious. And if you think you have a good idea, you know, run the search on Amazon. And if it doesn't exist and you think there's a need, keep going. Don't give up. Because I used to like run the search and realize, nope, nobody's done it yet. Okay, keep going. <laughs> and a lot of times the the best ideas are stuff that, you know, it's really obvious, but everybody, you know, hasn't done it. And then for social skills, what I would say is that I really don't think it's ever too late. And I really think that if we give this to our children, we're giving them the greatest gift because this affects the workplace. It affects your interpersonal relationships, your spouse, your partner. And we focus so much on academics in this country. But honestly, social is really what makes people happy. So I really hope that people will try this because while no play with me can really give you something pretty special with your kid. Amazing. Caroline, thank you so much. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for putting this out there and giving parents just the hands-on tools that they need to help their kids, which I feel like a lot of time is all we're looking for. It's just someone telling us like how we can help. So thank you for doing that. Oh my gosh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. Well, I'll be be looking for your mat. (laughs) I'm going to order one. Okay, I will. We'll test out the prototype. Hey, that's fine. You have four kids to test it with. Yeah. <laughs> Extra large mat. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. This episode has been sponsored by Book of the Month Club, bookofthemonthclub.com. Enter code Zibby to get your first book for just $5. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at Zibby at ZibbyOwens.com. Zibby